Good morning. This morning's second scripture reading is from the book of Esther. I will be reading from chapter 4, beginning in verse 10 and going to 17. Esther spoke to Hathach and commanded him to tell Mordecai, All the royal officials and the people of the royal provinces know that one law applies to every man or woman who approaches the king in the inner courtyard and who has not been summoned, the death penalty, unless the king extends the gold scepter allowing that person to live. I have not been summoned to appear before the king for the last 30 days. Esther's response was then reported to Mordecai. Mordecai told the messenger to reply to Esther, Don't think that you will escape the fate of all the Jews because you're in the king's palace. If you keep silent at this time, relief and deliverance will come to the Jewish people from another place. But you and your father's family will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. Esther sent this reply to Mordecai. Go and assemble all the Jews who can be found in Susa and fast for me. Don't eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my female servants will also fast in the same way. After that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. If I perish, I perish. So Mordecai went and did everything Esther had commanded him. The Lord add his blessing to the reading of his word. Good morning again. I am so glad to be worshiping together this morning on this beautiful summer day. I am Pastor Heidi, and I am going to be the pastor here at Brexville United Methodist Church, hopefully for a while. My family moved into our new home on June 25th, and I want to thank you for all of the warm welcomes that we have received from the people who brought us homemade meals the first week while we were getting all settled in to the cards that we continue to receive in the mail. It has been wonderful. I mentioned to Mary Kotnick when she was handing me a Texas sheet cake and a cherry pie that I was going to gain five pounds from all of the goodies that we were given. And she simply replied, well, we're Methodists. It's what we do. And it's true. Food is love. And all of the acts of love have helped Brexville feel like home already. And it just adds to our excitement of working for God together. Thank you. Let's pray. Oh Lord, I pray that in these moments your spirit might be felt, your hope experienced, and the challenge of your good news declared. Calm our minds and open our ears so that we may hear your voice speaking to us this morning. We pray these things through the power of your spirit. Amen. I have to admit that it was very difficult for me to choose a scripture for this morning because you've never heard me preach on anything before, so I could really use the entire Bible if I wanted. But I settled on Esther, ultimately, because it's one of my favorite stories in Scripture. 
It's simple, yet profound. It doesn't actually mention God, but we can see God's fingerprints throughout it. It's the story of a young Jewish woman, an orphan, who was adopted by her cousin Mordecai after her parents had passed away. And the story begins with King Assyrius, the ruler at that time, who was in search of a new queen. He sent out this royal command to gather all of the young women together so that he could choose a queen from them. And when Esther went before him, she found favor with the king immediately and was crowned queen. The king, however, didn't know that Esther was Jewish. Mordecai had told her to keep that part secret just in case it caused problems. So Esther was happily living her life as queen in the palace. She was enjoying her queenly status, and meanwhile, Mordecai was causing a little bit of trouble. He refused to bow down to Haman, the highest of the king's royal officials. Haman had quite a big ego. And so this infuriated him that Mordecai wouldn't simply bow down to him because he said so. So when he learned that Mordecai was a Jewish man, Haman reacted like any logical human being would. He conspired to destroy all of the Jewish people throughout the entire kingdom. And when Mordecai learned of this plot and that the king had agreed to it, he tore his clothes and he put on sackcloth and ashes and he went to the middle of the city crying loudly. Actually, Jewish people from all over the kingdom put on sackcloth and ashes and wailed and fasted and lamented. Esther, meanwhile, is sitting pretty in her palace. She was oblivious to what was going on in the kingdom. That is, until her servants came to her and they reported the news. Now, at this point, Esther didn't really know what was going on. And she didn't know why Mordecai and the others were wearing sackcloth and weeping. She just knew that something was wrong. And I think her reaction here is kind of interesting. Instead of going to Mordecai and asking her her father figure, what is wrong? She sends him clothes. She says, here, change into these clothes. You're embarrassing yourself. Please put these on. And by this point, Esther had been queen for five years. She was steeped in the palace etiquette. She was consumed in the ways of palace life and the way that one was supposed to act. That does not include wearing sackcloth and wailing in the middle of the city square. So she concerned herself with saving face for Mordecai and for herself, in case anyone knew that they were related. But Mordecai refused the clothes. So Esther then sent one of her attendants to go to Mordecai and to find out what exactly was going on. Mordecai told the messenger everything. Haman has devised a plot to kill all of the Jewish people in the kingdom. And I think it might be my fault. I think it's because I wouldn't bow down to Haman. Haman even promised to pay the royal treasury 375 tons of silver for the slaughter of all of the Jews. And to prove that he wasn't making it up, 
Mordecai gave the messenger a copy of the written decree. And then he told him his plan for Esther. Tell Esther to approach the king, to implore his favor, and to plead with him personally for her people. So the messenger then goes to Esther and delivers this message to her. And Esther's response is, uh, no. You go and remind Mordecai that everyone knows that you can't just walk up to the king in the inner court without being summoned. I will be put to death if I do that. That is, unless the king extends his gold scepter. But I haven't been summoned to appear before him in over 30 days. So why would I find favor with the king? Again, here, Esther is thinking of self-preservation. She knows palace protocol, and that's what she's concerned with. It will not allow her to do what Mordecai is asking, and she does not want to risk her life. She is enjoying her life as queen. Why would she want to give that up? So the messenger runs back to Mordecai and tells him this message from Esther. And, and Mordecai doesn't just say, oh, okay, you're right. Yeah, we'll find something else. No, Mordecai calls Esther out on her nonsense. He says, look, sweet daughter of mine, don't think that you will escape the fate of all of the Jews just because you are sitting in the palace. If you keep silent, the Jewish people will be saved by some other way. But you and your father's family... They will be destroyed. Who knows? Perhaps you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. And it seems that this response hit Esther in the gut. This response that she sent back to Mordecai was this. Go and assemble all of the Jews that you can find, Mordecai, and fast for me for three days and for three nights. My female servants and I, we will do the same. And after that, I will go to the king, even if it is against the law. And if I perish, I'll perish. I started off my college career at the University of Cincinnati because it was the farthest point you could get from my hometown in Conneaut, Ohio, and still have in-state tuition. I was an undecided major because even though I felt a call into ministry a few years before, I wasn't fully convinced that God knew what he was doing and that being a pastor was for me. I loved fitting in, so I joined a sorority and I allowed myself to get consumed with all of the fun and the partying of the sorority life. I had a great scholarship but I didn't really focus on my classes because I didn't want to miss out on any of the fun that people were having. I say this with my parents sitting right in the front row. <laughs> yeah, my dad says. I went almost a year like this. That is until I, was, I had to take a class like all of the other undecided majors called Exploring UC. And in this class, we took a lot of assessments, and they tried to help us figure out what we wanted to be when we grew up. And I remember very clearly one day sitting in class 
we were looking at the results of an assessment and the teacher was going around the room and, and talking to people about the results and asking questions. And she paused and she looked right at me in the middle of this secular institution where God didn't seem to be even an, an afterthought to anyone. And she said, Heidi, have you ever thought of being a pastor? And my whole being flushed with heat and my stomach was instantly in knots. And I looked at her and I lied and I said, no. But I, had, I felt like I had been seen to the core. I didn't want to be a pastor in a place where everyone was talking about being an engineer or being an architect or a business executive and how much money they were going to make and their beautiful corner offices that they were going to have. And I was supposed to say, well, I'm going to be a pastor. The pay is not so great, but you get to help people. Isn't that nice? No, I was not going to say that. So I decided to major in organizational leadership because that's something. It was, this <laughs> it was this hip new major that would make me marketable to all kinds of businesses. And maybe it would even get me one of those corner offices that everyone was talking about. And so I continued to fill my life with parties and socials and anything that would distract me from that nagging feeling that I had that God wanted me for something else. Meanwhile, my sorority house was right next to the Wesley house. So every day when I went home, I would see the Wesley house. And I would see Bible studies going on. And I would see people going in and out and having all kinds of fun. And I wanted, part of me desperately wanted to go in. But then at the same time, more of me desperately wanted to fit in to fit into this image that I had created for myself of this popular socialite and surrounded by important and fancy successful people. Finally, though, I couldn't take it anymore. During a sisterhood event at the sorority house, we were sitting in a circle and we were sharing things that were on our hearts. And, and when it was my turn, I said, I think I'm supposed to be a pastor. And I thought that they were going to judge me or scoff at me. Or at the very least, the room would be filled with this absolute awkward silence until somebody else shared something. But to my surprise, my sister smiles and they hugged me and they said, that's great. How can we help you? What can we do? We all have these stories where we want desperately to fit in to conform to whatever the world wants from us or whatever people around, from, around us expect from us. I was stubborn. I still am. And even after sharing my call with my sisters, it took me six more years of school, five different majors and three schools, three universities, to finally say yes to God. Over and over and over again, I would hear God calling me out. And I would get close to saying it, 
just saying yes, but then it would turn into, well, not yet. But at the time, it, it wasn't wasted, all of, all of those, those classes and those years. God used them. I did a lot of learning and a lot of growing. And I believe that classes in anatomy and physiology and, and in accounting and business and, and all of the other things that I took, I believe that those helped me to be a more effective pastor today. God is calling each and every one of us out. It might not be a career change, but God is calling us to do something, to help someone, to participate in the good work of the gospel here and now. But we have this tendency to say, no, I can't do that. You have the wrong person. It'll cause waves. I don't want to make somebody mad or uncomfortable. Or it'll raise eyebrows, and what will people think of me? It's difficult to overcome this this self-centeredness of our daily lives and in order to really fully discern God's call for us. Esther did not want to risk her life for the Jewish people, but she did. I didn't want to change my life for God's call, but I did. Because somehow God gets our attention, either through other people, through life events, or the sheer uncomfortableness of of not listening to God. So the question is, are you willing to put yourself out there? Are you willing to step out in faith and encourage and to participate in what God is doing in this time and in this place? Who knows? Perhaps you have come to this position, whatever position that is, that God has placed you, for such a time as this? Are you willing to reach beyond yourself and to act on behalf of others, placing your trust solely in God? If you don't, God will make it happen some other way. But guys, don't you want to say yes? Don't you want to participate in what God is doing and what God can do through you? If you do, if you do say yes, it is going to be good. I don't know how exactly, because God is bigger than anything we could ever imagine. But I just know that God is going to do good things through this place, through us. Glory to God. Amen.